If you have any topic suggestions that you'd like to hear more about or questions that you're hoping that we could maybe address on a future podcast, you can click the Get in Touch box right on our website at ktsmoneymatters.com. And the Hardworking Woman's Guide to Money, available either on our website, KT's Money Matters, or on Amazon. Or of course, you can find our link in the show notes. Working with your investments, retirement, insurance, estate or tax planning, or just dealing with everyday expenses, your money matters. Let KT Thomas help you make the most of it. This is KT's Money Matters. Hey there, and welcome back. This is KT Thomas from KT's Money Matters, coming to you with your quips and tips and ideas about how to make money, grow money, spend money, invest money. So I wanted to have a little talk about the real estate market because it's spring, and this is about the time when people start really thinking about, this is when they're all going to try to move around, you know, while the kids are out of school and maybe they're, t- they're ready for a bigger house or a smaller house or no house at all. And so I thought I'd do kind of a real estate update looking at the spring selling and buying season. So we'll talk about that today. We'll talk about what it takes, what you should be thinking about if you're a buyer. Also, what you should be thinking about if you're a seller. What are the current conditions of things like financing and how you might want to plan to make this season a success, even if it means skipping this season. I don't know, a little cliffhanger. Anyway. I'll be back after the break. Your host, Katie Thomas, is the Director of Portfolio Services at New Day Solutions, a firm offering expertise in retirement planning with more than 25 years of experience, dedicated to high net worth individuals, families, and business owners. We work with you to have a coordinated approach for your comprehensive investment goals providing concierge service for all generations from a team who can see things from your side of the table. Go to NewDaySolutions.com for more information. Hey, thanks for hanging in with me through the commercial. So as I record this podcast, we're just getting ready to break into May. May becomes when you start to see the flow of activity around the real estate market. I like real estate. I like the fact that people can buy things that they own. I also know that a lot of people choose to rent long-term because unless you're going to stay in a real estate holding a long time, you can easily get a little toasted by the time you look at what you spend to buy, what you spend to furnish, what you pay in in overhead, including interest payments, and then ultimately what you pay to sell it. So unless you think about buying real estate and living there for a minimum, of five to 10 years, you probably should wait. Now, what you need to know about 2019 that I think is important, real estate prices are still growing, but not like before. So the real estate market has cooled quite a bit. I usually call this economic modeling by walking around, but I do have data that supports it. So I was down in Florida for the month of March, riding my bicycle all over the state. And I'll tell you what I saw so much of, I couldn't even believe it. For sale signs. I mean, one on every street, two on some streets. I remember thinking, what, has everybody decided that they're leaving at once? What is going on that they're all selling real estate? And if there are these many houses on the market, where are the buyers? I mean, after all, 
All of us baby boomers are supposed to be going down there into retirement and buying homes. And uh, why aren't we just snapping up these little gummy bears one at a time? Well, there are a couple of things going on in today's real estate market that are dramatically different from the real estate market just a year ago. So I don't know, for those of you who were buying or selling last year, certainly remember that 2017 and 18, and frankly, for that matter, even part of 2016, were seller markets. And what I mean by that is you could put it on the market and sometimes you could sell it even before it went on the market. You might get several offers at the end of the first week, sometimes even at the end of the first day. Now, the problem with a seller's market is when your house doesn't sell right away, everybody wonders what's wrong with it. So in fact, even though during a seller's market, there were many of those selling an instant homes, the average home sat on the market for 40 days. Just, you know, a little heads up that just because some people sell their house in a minute doesn't mean that you should expect that you will. But once that euphoria, this idea that it's, oh my God, what happens if I don't buy this house right now? We get what we call in the investment business, FOMO, fear of missing out. We better buy that house right now because we might miss it if we don't bid enough. So there, you know, sometimes you'll see full price offers. Sometimes you'll see offers over the full price. And if you're a seller, this is a really exciting time. If you're a buyer, this can be a very stressful time because what ends up happening is you typically end up spending a little bit more than the house is really worth. Now, if you're going to stay a long time, that's probably going to be okay. But here's what I'll say to you. If you're not going to stay a long time, you could have a year like 2019 where we've started to see more properties come on the market, properties staying on the market longer. And we're, we're not seeing a decline in prices, but in prices, home prices last year from March, from March to March actually didn't rise at the rate of inflation. In fact, we saw some home prices around the country actually drop as much as 3 or 4%. Now, there are still some hot property areas of the country where property prices are still going up, but there's less of that and more of what we think about is a buyer slash seller market. So don't get me wrong. This isn't a buyer's market. Everything isn't on sale. People aren't doing anything to get you to buy their house. They're still holding out, still trying to get that money for the house, but there's a little bit more wiggle room for both negotiation, for terms, and price. Right now, the medium house price is about $249,000. So for the majority of us, that's going to mean we're going to have to do a little financing. Mortgage rates right now are running somewhere in the low fours. Still, statistically, very cheap. Now, how long will those rates stay low? I don't know, it's anybody's guess, but what I'll say to you is the average mortgage rate for the last 30 years has been just shy of 7%. So 4% by the metrics of money over time would be considered cheap. One of the other things I think is still really, un really interesting is how many new places are being built. And I mean, kind of big new places. I really thought the McMansion purchasing and building had kind of died. But, you know, I was out riding my bicycle this past weekend. And to tell you the truth, there's a lot of big homes being built. For who? I don't know. Families are shrinking. Boomers are getting older. They're looking to die in size. But frankly, young people don't want to buy an old boomer's house and have to put all the work into it. They'd rather buy something brand new. 
eventually what's going to happen is the price of the old boomer's house is going to have to come down in order to compete. Because if somebody can buy brand new construction down the street from you, then you're going to have to price your property with the idea that it's competing against brand new construction. Younger buyers have also changed what they think about as the ideal property. There was a recent article in Barron's that talked about how younger buyers are seeking walkable, mixed-use neighborhoods. They want to be able to be in an environment where they can get what they need without having to drive miles and miles for it. And they want to be able to have neighbors. So that big, expansive lot of grass with that great big house on the hill, just not that attractive right now to these younger people. They're looking for something more usable. And even though rents have continued to rise, many younger people have decided that they are still going to rent and they may rent forever. In fact, the idea of home ownership, which used to be a straightforward goal, is now a maybe. You know, frankly, when I grew up, the first thing you wanted to do was get a good job, get a Sears credit card. We'll see how that went. Buy your first car and buy your first home. That's how you knew you had arrived when you purchased your first home. But people don't think about it that way today. They think about financial stability. They think about choice and flexibility in their lives. They think about managing overall costs. This, you know, this group is a little less willing to get out over their skis, meaning owe more money than they think they can afford. They want to be a little bit more careful and they want to be able to change it if it's not working. So if where they live doesn't work, they want to be able to move. If where they work doesn't work, they want to be able to do their resume and change jobs. They're not the hunkering in and stay for 25-year type, and that's okay. It'll probably be a better economy 20 years from now as a result of those changes. But right now what you have is people that have been doing business one way, like realtors, selling to investors who want to own the properties long-term, live there and raise families, pay the mortgage off and then sell it and be happy with the profit to people that are willing to rent or lease in order to not commit are buying smaller, closer, mixed-use neighborhoods and whatever it is they want. And they are not looking at that traditional big house with lots of jobs around it. Now, it doesn't mean that 10 years from now, that same generation won't change their mind. We saw this a lot with the 40-something generation, the Gen Xers, who in the beginning didn't really want to own, didn't really want to have the big house but then as they became parents and started families, they then wanted those permanent roots. This generation may get there too, but frankly, they're starting families a little later, so their need for permanent roots don't exist today. But meanwhile, as I was driving my bicycle all over town, what I found out is that they are building everywhere. As if all of those people are going to come to market, and frankly, those people don't seem that interested in coming to market. What could that mean to housing prices in the near future? Next two, three, four years could be that housing prices start to decline off of their highs. You could even see that in 2019. Why? Because if new blood doesn't enter into the market to come in and establish home ownership, then the people who do own have a, have a reduced pool of people to sell to, and therefore prices fall to a place where people are willing to enter the market. It is reversion to the mean, 
which means that over time, everything goes back to where it should be, at least for a minute. So those sellers that had kind of the seller's party last year are going to be met this year with less people running to buy, and that's okay. And they could be led to people wanting better discounts and better options to buy. And then those buyers will get them. And if the prices go too low, more buyers will move into the market and then sellers will be able to raise the price again. That is the cycle of home ownership. Although it's stable, generally speaking, and by stable, I mean more stable than stocks, but not necessarily like stable, stable. The best thing about your house is while you're investing in it, you can live there too. With that in mind, if you're thinking about making a move that includes a buy or a sell this summer, you should consider the following steps. If you're a seller, one, you should have somebody look at your house and give you ideas about how to stage it. You should meet with at least three realtors and ask them how they plan to market your home, what they think they could sell for based on other comps in the area, and what percentage they intend to charge you. And you should know brokerage rates are negotiable. So don't chicken out when you're asking them for a better price. By a better price, I mean something 5% or south. It really depends upon how much services they have to support you. But if they're just going to throw it up on the internet, well, you could put it on a company like Redfin for 2%, or you could put it on Zillow for a flat fee. If you list it with a realtor, you should expect more than just an online presence. They should be talking to you about how they're going to work your home. You should be using this time now to think about how you declutter the home. I always say to people, listen, people love their own pictures of their own kids, but other people don't love them. When they walk into a home, what they want to be able to do is look at it and think about how they would see their stuff there, not how they see your stuff. So even though you love it, and I know you do, take it all and put it in bins and put it in a storage facility or pack it nicely in the basement and make sure that people can walk around your home, they can see everything in your home and that they can see most of the surfaces are clean and empty so that they can picture their things there. This is kind of a hassle, but this is the best part of making your house for a price to get a better price. Fourth is you wanna look at any walls in the house that need painting. Paint, my friends, is cheap. Having the place painted on the inside, you could do it yourself or you could pay somebody else to paint. But a touch-up of a paint job so that they can see how it looks and have it be nice and clean is really important. With that, also a professional cleaning. By this, I mean woodwork, windows, carpets. You want it to show its best face forward. That allows people to be excited about what it might look like. Curb appeal. So, needless to say, we want to complete our spring cleanup. We want to maybe plant some hardy little flowers that won't die. We want to make sure we water them so that they don't die. We want people to think about how comfortable they'd be living in this house. And if you're selling, you also have to think about where you're going. Will you be buying a new home cash? Will you be needing financing? If you know that you're going to need financing and are worried that your home won't sell in time, you may want to, before putting your home on the market, apply for a home equity line of credit. As long as your home is not listed for sale, you should be able to get one 
if you have equity in your home. Now, why would you bother? Well, a home equity line of credit could be accessed for the down payment of your new home if your old home hasn't been sold by then. So if liquidity is a concern for you, this is a great step to do before listing the home. Let's face it, a bank doesn't really want to give a home equity loan, go through all the process of underwriting it, if you're really just going to pay it off when you sell the house in a month. But if it's not listed, then you can get one and you can have it in place in case you need it. I mean, after all, the bank is there to be able to establish your credit. You just have to, you know, kind of not tip your hand about the fact that you plan on selling it. Anytime after you receive the home equity line of credit, you can then list it for sale. If you need to borrow money from the home, you'll be able to do that for the down payment of the other home. And that will help you coordinate between the two homes. After that's done, once your house is on the market, you also want to get yourself pre-approved by wherever you get your mortgage. I personally uh, use a local mortgage broker who works with, I don't know, 10 banks because I want the ability to look at a bunch of banks without having to run around. Some people like working with their own bank where they've been there forever. And if you're wondering whether your bank is giving you a good rate or not, you should check bankrate.com or mint.com and take a look at what people are paying for mortgage rates right now. Now, let's say you're the first time home buyer on the other side. You've never purchased a home before and you don't have a home to sell. You're renting someplace and you're thinking this could be your year. First thing I want to say to you is you want to make sure that you can afford that mortgage. You should look at the difference when you're establishing your selling price of what you're paying for rent today. And then you want to say, how much will my mortgage be? And you want to add about a third onto that number. And that'll be like taxes and insurance. So let's say my new mortgage would be, a, you know, $1,500. And then taxes and insurance would be another $450. That means I have to be prepared to pay $1,800 a month just on the cost of carrying the house. Now, let's say I'm currently paying $1,500 a month in rent. The first thing I would ask you is, have you been able to save on a regular basis every single month for the last year at least $300? If you haven't, you probably can't afford this next jump. A house costs a lot more than principal interest taxes and insurance, but that's like table stakes. You have to at least be able to afford just that. In addition to that, I always say you should be able to afford three or $400 a month more for all the other things that renters don't pay. So if you buy a house and it has a condo fee or it has a yard and you have to cut the grass and it has things that need to be done with it, once in a while you're going to need a roof or you're going to need um, gutters or you're going to need shutters or you're going to need uh, that water fixed in the basement, whatever it is, those bills come along on a regular basis for homeowners. They don't always happen. They're not an even amount every month, but you should think about having three to $4,000 a year that you can spend on your home above what you're paying to own your home. And that that's usually a kind of a fair range. Now, once in a while, you'll get hit with something really big, but mostly that is just regular maintenance and sustaining of the house that you bought. So then I come back and I say, could you have saved, right? If it's $300 more for the mortgage, mortgage and it's $300 a month more for the other things associated with home ownership, 
Then I say, have you been able to save $5,000 or $7,000 or $10,000 in the last year? Now, if you haven't been able to do that, you might not be ready to buy. The real acid test is, am I ready to buy? Why am I ready to buy? Do I have enough of a down payment? Because if I don't, here's what I'll say to you. You're going to get hosed. Banks will lend you the money with 3% down or 5% down, but they are going to charge you that extra $300 a month that you were going to pay on kind of maintaining your home. You're going to pay it on private mortgage insurance, which by the way, is something that after 2009 never goes away unless you refinance. So now we're coming back to the fact that interest rates are at 4%. You say to me, listen, KT, I can always refinance and get that private mortgage insurance taken off. And I say, yes, you can. But if interest rates are 7%, when you go to do that, it actually didn't matter because you're going to pay more on financing and that private mortgage insurance is about the same money and it doesn't matter. So you really want to think about, am I ready? Am I financially ready? Do I have a little bit of money in the bank? Do I have good cash flow? Do I have not a lot of consumer debt? Am I ready to commit to own a place five years or longer? Really, five to 10 years? Am I willing to stay in this place? Or is this the starter place that I'm going to look to get out of in a couple of years? Here's what I'll say. You shouldn't buy the starter place that you're thinking about getting out of in a couple of years unless you think you can keep it and use it as rental income and have money to go buy something else. But if you think you're going to be able to sell it in a couple of years, that is the, the risk odds of that go up because real estate doesn't always go up. It always goes up over time. And over time isn't 24 months. Over time is usually five years, but it can be as long as 10 or 15 years, depending upon how inflated prices are. You also want to think about whether or not you're going to have to sink money into maintenance of the property. So good home inspection, really important to really have somebody look at, and a realtor should be able to refer you to somebody, but have them really look at what needs to be done in the house right now. What do they expect will need to be done in the next year to five years so that you can think whether or not those are things that you can afford. Like is the roof 25 years old and it's not leaking right now? Well, that might be great, but you know, the average life of a roof is 25 years. So it might not be leaking right now. You might get another two, three, you might even get five years out of that roof, but you can't go into it thinking you're going to get 10. You just have to know it and make sure that you have enough money to do that. You also have to think about you and if you're doing this with somebody else, like a spouse and kids, is this home going to meet our needs as a family two years, five years down the road? Am I buying a two-bedroom house where we're planning on having four kids? Well, they better all be the same sex if you're going to have four kids because you're going to have to put them all in one bedroom. So you really want to think about, will this home work for me as my life grows? Because if this is your first house, here's what I can guarantee. Even if you stay in this house for the rest of your life, your life will grow and it's going to need a little bit of room. So make sure that you have it. Try to look for a buyer's broker when you're searching for a real estate agent. You certainly can buy on your own, but you really don't necessarily have to. You could use a seller's broker. Frankly, I like the idea of using a buyer's broker. That means that they cannot work with you on any property that they have a conflict in. They have to represent you and only you in this transaction. 
This is probably the biggest purchase most people will make in their whole lives will be real estate. And it's amazing to me how many people do this with a conflicted realtor who is representing both the seller and the buyer. You want to require that you have your own person that you picked who represents you. This shouldn't be your friend from high school. This should be somebody who, unless your friend from high school has a great track record, has done multiple listings, has represented other buyers in the past. You should do a little research here. You want that person to be very good at their work because really everybody gets paid from the seller. So that person who represents you is important to put in the mix. I know realtors don't like to hear that. They tell me all the time how they can represent both sides, about how it doesn't matter. But here's what I'll say to you. As a fiduciary, it, matter, it would matter to me and it should matter to you. You want to think about making sure that person at the table actually represents you. Now, frankly, nobody gets paid unless the deal gets closed. So it's not like they're going to try to blow up the deal. But the bottom line is you weren't trying to blow up the deal anyway. You just want someone who has a fiduciary responsibility to you to look out for you while you're making probably your biggest life purchase. If you're getting ready to head out there in the spring summer buying market, I wish you all the best, but I would recommend that we all slow down a little bit. Real estate markets, prices are softening. And so when that happens, buyer beware. Until we speak again. Thanks for listening to KT's Money Matters with KT Thomas. For more information, past episodes, and show notes, go to www.ktsmoneymatterspodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe and recommend it at iTunes, Overcast, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.